Hi everyone, welcome to episode 36 of Beer and Bants. My name's Chris. My name's James. Uh, and we'll get straight into our tried and tested as normal. So this one is from Brewed by Numbers and it is a, it's number 42, which is a double dry hopped pale ale, which is Citra and Subro hops. Now, I've had this before. Uh, yeah. That's what I tried and tested, but you haven't, have you? So I'll I let you... No. I'll let you have and a. I think you, yeah, you were specifically slurp. very much make sure I save this uh, beer because, yeah. Uh, yeah which so is this a good beer, thing, I think. Well, this beer actually came from one of our subscription services, which we've mentioned a couple of times now. And because they're not paying us, I'm not mentioning the name again. So no, I, um, we tried one of the, I tried one of their other beers from the first box that they did, which was like a, uh, a mosaic pilsner. Um, and it was. For lack of another word, crap. Uh, this one, I uh, so equally went into not expecting much and actually really, really enjoyed. Now, this will be quite interesting to see whether it's actually as good as I remembered it or it was just a vast improvement on the one before. So it's 5.5% in volume. Um, yeah, like I said, it's got... What's the blurb on it? Now, this uh, collaborative double dry hop pale ale is stacked with citra and sabro hops, creating a modern beer with an immensely tropical profile. A soft malt bill allows the hops to shine with flavours of creamy coconut, juicy mango and zesty citrus notes. The resulting beer is a full-bodied, refreshing and highly drinkable. I'm assuming yeah, our resulting beer. I misread that. My fault. But yeah, so um, it's quite a... Considering it's a double dry hop, it's quite a yeah. light colour beer, very like pale in colour. Normal dry double dry very, hops tend to be a bit more intense, I would say. Yeah, but very think? cloudy as well, which I think yeah. is what we're what we're expecting from this type of beer. Um I will say the aroma, you can definitely get the mango and sit for us. Coconut definitely not come through yet. And I I suspect given creamy, I wouldn't necessarily go with a triple <laughs> dry hop. So I doubt that's going to come through, but yeah. I'm going to go for it. So. I've got to be honest, it's not a profile that when I actually had a swig of it, that that came to mind. The tropical fruits, the, like the, all the notes and the malt and everything, like, did seem to work very nicely together. Uh, but I didn't highlight any coconut whatsoever. Uh, what's your take on your first sip? Uh, yeah, I, I don't get any <clears throat> coconut whatsoever, but that is, it's quite understated. Again, normally double dry hop, you do get kind of a, a punchier, hoppy, hoppiness that comes through from it but actually that's very fruity the hops are more at the start than the end which i think i prefer mm. if i'm honest here um it, it's quite pleasant and refreshing i'll be honest that, that isn't bad yeah because when i actually I tried think, it yeah. I've, i'd forgotten that it was a double dry hopped uh pale so when i drank it i was like oh this is just a, a really it's yeah. a hoppy but really nicely balanced pale ale and then when i reread the cans like, oh double dry hop so it doesn't most people think yeah. double dry hopped or triple dry hopped, and you're thinking, you know, it big smack in the face, more along the IPA lines, where this doesn't. And I think it's just really nicely balanced. I understand where they're saying with the creamy. I, would, I personally would say more full bodied because of that kind of yeah. multi taste. Um, but yeah, like you said, you get the well, hop it's, straight it's, from the off, but it just smooth throughout. And it, it's no, there's no harshness, is there really? Yeah, I think it's that maltiness, but also I think. Uh, I, I think it says in the ingredients so it's got a bit of wheat in it as well. And I think that is giving some of that body to it as well, mm. and maybe some of that kind of tang to it, um, which I think is very nice. I, I don't know. I, I think the back, I always like the brew by numbers because they do a good <clears> breakdown of kind of like hops, bitterness, uh, juiciness, and haziness. And I think, you know, hops, they've kind of given it a four out of five, whereas their 
kind of bitterness is two out of five. And I do understand what they mean there, I think, because you are getting the flavour of the hops through quite distinctly at the start, but it isn't bitter at all. No, um, no definitely you know, Compared not. to what, what you would normally expect. So, um, I, I'm, yeah, not that I'm surprised that, you, you know, you're correct, Chris, <laughs> but, you know, Citra and Sampra as well, yeah. Yeah, I, I just think I, it was... I think that's very nice. Very it, was, it was a pleasant surprise, considering, I say, the one I'd had before, I just thought was terrible, so... Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, well, it's I think, just... yeah, we, we've had a few brewed by the numbers and, and they have been a bit hit and miss. So that is definitely one of the nicer ones. Uh, I wonder why they call it 42, though. This is what I get so annoyed with uh, craft beers not telling the story of their. Well, this beer. is the annoying part because 42. if you go for number 42 from this, you can only really get it from Brewdog because the 42 from brewed by numbers is a different beer. That's annoying, isn't it? Yeah, just a little bit because I was looking for it all yeah. along because I actually really enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, had to go through Elon, shall we say? Well, Elon, oh, wow. how he paints it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, overall, I think it's got it got a nice punch at the start, but doesn't carry all the way through to any tense bit in the sort you would normally expect. Very, very lightly balanced. Nice fruit profile throughout. A bit more, yeah, full bodied on the on the taste throughout. But overall, I would say that's quite sessionable. For 5.5, which is quite dangerous. I think for us, it's a really good beer to start on, which yeah, is always so. the case. So, yeah, yeah it actually works quite well. That's, that's the reason why I told you to hold that, Gant. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, sometimes not I know I want a, it. Not always. Not just a pretty face. Not just a pretty face. Well, thank you. Uh, right, so moving on from that. Uh, right, so last year, during lockdown, there was a massive surge in interest for a Netflix TV show. Uh Tiger King, I'm sure most people have heard of it. Not, not everybody will watched it, but yeah, that kind of documentary thing was the, the big show of yeah, last yeah. year. Now, rolling on to 2021, there's another show that's kind of taken like everywhere by storm, and it's not a Netflix one. Uh, this one's actually an Amazon Prime show, and this one is called Clarkson's Farm. Now, I think a lot of people would have actually watched or at least heard of Clarkson's Farm. Because... Can I just start? Well, I've just got to say one thing, just to jump in there. If anybody who's watched Tiger King and hasn't watched Clarkson's <laughs> Farm isn't similar, okay? When you I... say it's like a documentary type... Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no I was saying, no, actually, that wasn't, the, that... Em- that wasn't the emphasis that I was okay, like, going okay. for. The emphasis <laughs> was, last year was Tiger King was the big hit. Clarkson's Farm is definitely the big hit at the moment. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I definitely agree. So it was that second. Clearly, that thought process is a bit sl- a bit slower on your side. Uh, must be the Derby end. <laughs> slow connection. Uh, oh, but yes, yeah, so <laughs> Clarkson's Farm. So I was just thinking, Clarkson Tiger King would actually work quite well. I'm I mean, not going to lie. I, I know what I can think of is uh, Jeremy Clarkson in like a tiger print banana hammock. Really? I'm thinking like, Car- uh, is it Carolyn Baskin or whatever in it? Carol, Carol Baskin. Baskin. Carol Baskin. <laughs> Hello, kitty cats, like that. Uh, could be his ex-wife, oh. you never know. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, so Clarkson's Farm is a documentary series on uh, Amazon Prime. It's kind of done with the similar kind of jest-filled entertainment you would kind of expect from a Clarkson uh, programme. But I think this one is a lot different to anything he's done before. So when I saw it, was announced, I thought, oh, they're struggling to make the Grand Tour, so they've just 
during lockdown, he just had to mess about on a farm. And I, I, to be fair, I couldn't have been further from the truth, really, because yeah. he actually decided yeah. to do this well before, you know, COVID was even in the news. So, yeah, realistically, it was just he, the person who was running the farm that he owned was retiring. And because of his interest in, like, uh, farming machinery and how it all works and that, he was like, yeah, I'll give it a try. And, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Turns out a lot. Um <laughs> <laughs> but, at least he had fun throughout all of it and i think oh yeah he uh, like loved say, it. The, the best part about it is clearly this is something completely outside of his comfort zone you know he's definitely got a love of the subject and a love of wanting to get involved in stuff but actually you know compared to previous experiences this is not something he's an expert in by any means oh and, and that comes across that's <laughs> and that what works so well because actually you know, him bumbling around and just trying to like, you know, in typical Jeremy Clarkson file, just kind of bulldozer through the issue and like, I don't care that I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll just drive a, a tractor very quickly through this field and I'll, or through a wooded area, you know, I'm sure it'll get through that tiny gap. Yeah, of course, utter carnage and get stuck, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely elements. Anybody who's a traditional Clarkson fan, I think would really, really enjoy the programme. Uh, it covers literally everything so literally so he's from he goes into the farm he's trying to work out which farm is which and which area is designated for individual crops he's got an outsourced uh, advisor who tells him what he needs to buy and where he needs to be allocating yeah. certain uh, produce uh, then other areas where he can get like reimbursements for with helping wildlife and there's a lot of technicality in it. And I think that's one of the things that's yeah. quite interesting as well. It's not just a, oh, here's a farm. Let's me mess it up. It actually, you, you see the proper ins and outs of how it all works, which... Yeah, you see kind of the start and end of the whole yeah. process. And like you say, those technical intricacies where you're like, oh, wow, I never really thought about, you know, um, was it that... Uh, the wilding aspect of it yeah, so like yeah. basically put a whole areas for wildlife and just kind of letting that naturally regrow because yeah, like, and you get reimbursement kind of for it yeah yeah exactly and some of those things and then also the farm shop element as well which i think is really yeah. well done i like the fact that you see kind of the customers consumer end of it as well and kind yeah. of that influence and it's really good but of course me and you personally the highlight of the whole thing is not clarkson but actually caleb because yeah. So Caleb is a farmhand who is a freelancer who pretty much basically looks after a lot of farming areas within that localised area of Chipping Norton. Um, he doesn't leave that area at all. Um, like he Outsiders confuse him. He doesn't like anything like big cities. All he's bothered about is farming and that's it. So as a... A contrast to Clarkson, I personally think he's absolutely amazing. There's a massive call for him to get his own show, um, which along the lines of, I think, of Idiot Abroad, but personally, I actually would like to see what he does day to day, like with all those different businesses yeah. he's got. Um, but yes, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if something like that does happen further on. Um, but yeah, Caleb, it is it brilliant. Makes, it, it makes sense. I mean, there was, there was an episode where uh, Clarkson was uh, growing his own wasabi plant. Yes. And then it kind of tasked Caleb going into London and selling it to like London restaurants. And that was just such a funny episode to see him. Like I say, Idiot Abroad is such a good explanation of it because it's like he's never gone into the city before. And just seeing like him go in and actually try and talk to people and sell this when he's like, 
why aren't we selling? You know, firstly, why are we growing wasabi? Like, what is wrong with you? Why are we even growing this stuff? And then also, <laughs> like, this is why you grow things and then you sell them in a shop. They come to you. You don't go out to restaurants and try and sell to fancy London restaurants. And, and you know, like you say, disaster ensues with every single episode. And it's just, it's just really funny, to be fair. Um, I'm hoping they do bring it for a second season. I think at the moment there's, I, I don't know if you saw the news because people were saying that it wasn't, it had been cancelled. And then I think Clarkson said that it hadn't actually been technically renewed yet. So he was like, right to Amazon, you know, it's their decision and stuff like that. And I think actually it, it's done so well, I can't see them not renewing it for a second season. But It was, it was a false rumour basically. So uh, a lot yeah. of uh, Clarkson fanboys had set a rumour saying season two had been confirmed and it was all spending like wildfire. So Clarkson had to come out and say, look, as much as I would love for it to be renewed, it hasn't been. So, yeah, you know, it, it it's one of those ones. It's yes, it's disappointing, but I just wanted to like kind of quash the rumors, so to speak. But I, I think um, I think with this popularity, it'd be crazy not to renew it. If I'm completely honest. Um, well, and uh, but with with popularity does come its own difficulties for those who live near the farm, of course. I think is it, uh, <laughs> it it's Cotswold, is it the town of, it's Chadlington. I always yeah. say Chuggington, but I think it's Ch- Chadlington. Yeah, Ch- Chadlington is the, the, town, the village where um, it's, it's actually based, which is near Chipping Norton. So. Yeah, and, and of course his farm, which is the Diddley Swap Farm, is now so popular that it's got a massive tourist following. It is a massive hotspot. I think was it um, last month they had like a three- three-mile queue in this small village of cars just uh, three thousand cars three thousand cars it was something stupid and like you know chaos of course because it's country roads you know the whole village was in a standstill well to, uh, what's put, to kind of point hate it they complain about it so to put it into context it's three thousand cars with normally at least two people in the car if not more in a small quaint yeah. like cotswolds village yeah, you know, it never gets that level of footfall throughout an entire day, let alone yeah, you know, within an hour. So you can imagine why the local people were annoyed by it. But yeah, I think yeah. the um I think it gave a real a real view of what farming was and how things such as like COVID or going into something like trying to rear sheep with absolutely no idea. And if you don't plan properly, like what yeah. impact it can have. And it, I think it was an absolutely amazing show. If I'm hand on heart, probably the best show the Clarkson's ever done. I oh, know, I completely agree, because it has that same charm that Top Gear used to have in terms of, you know, it's chaos with people pissing about and like just enjoying it. But yeah. it's that element that it didn't feel staged at all. It felt no. completely natural, felt completely real. And like you said, it's the fact they didn't just make farming look easy. It wasn't Clarkson kind of turning up and it was perfect. Everything was was running. And quite often when you see, because I, I think of some of the country life shows that you there have been in the past where you've yeah. had like famous chefs that do it and stuff like that. I think Gordon Ramsay did one where he did his own farm and, you know, cooked off of it and stuff like that. But it's always perfect. Nothing ever goes wrong for the most part. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, I have some, uh, you know, I have some chickens and something have got loads of eggs and I've got some pigs that will rear and, oh, this is all the nice things you can cook with pork. Whereas actually this is very much complete chaos. And I think it's just really well done in that sense. And I think... Yeah, I think some farmers uh, actually spoke out to the show and said actually it was really good and they enjoyed it. Like yeah. actually, from an agriculture point of view, it is really well done. Well, it made um, the cover of uh, Farmers Weekly, didn't it? 
yeah, yeah, which I think is just insane in its own set, you know, given the kind of show that it is. Um, I think a lot of people have kind of have, have got into it a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And, you know, I think, like you say, I think it's going to the Grand Tour end of this month, I think. Doesn't the Grand Tour start again? Yeah, uh, it doesn't start again. It's just a, they're back to the, like, uh, the one special. special. Yeah, so the, that'll be yeah. out on the 30th of June. So I'm looking forward to that one. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, um, and I, I think that'll be good. But I, I think, like you say, I think it, it's been so good. But I think also part of it, of course, is the show works based on certain things. And I think how, I suppose, the chaos and stuff like that, I think it's almost too popular now, but a little yeah. country farm, it is no longer that. Like, the amount of visitors they get into their shop and stuff like that, like, it's turning over a tidy profit, even in its own chaos. And I think there is a certain element where, you know, how he goes forward with it, I don't know, because actually, it, I think that's when it will start feeling a bit more staged, the longer it goes on in a weird sense of the thing. But, and also, like, it's so reliant on certain key people like Caleb, you know, how they want to stay engaged with it and, and keep on with it. So The only yeah, thing I actually see. want to see is I want to see a second series to see how much he's learned from the first time. Yeah. And, and also, like, it's seeing the result of stuff that he's done this season. Yeah. Because, of course, you know, a lot of it is set for future, right? It's not like you see the immediate short term, oh, I planted this, therefore it's ready. And I think, yeah. you know, you, you kind of get to see some of the, the end result of the first one, uh, which would be good, to be fair. So, yeah, I think uh, season two, harvesting stuff. season two should be the cap. So, yeah. if they do another series, it's season two and that's it. Everything else from that point should be spin offs. So, Caleb yeah. getting his own show. Maybe uh, miserable, uh, was it miserable Charlie? Unhappy yeah. Charlie. Yeah. Uh, I can never, what was his nickname? I can't remember his nickname now. But yeah, yeah, those type of people doing spin offs from them, I completely understand. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I think I, Clarkson I, has got a, a very finite amount of time out of yeah, this. I, that's it. It, it, show, it shows some of the things they could do. I mean, one of the ones I would love to see, um, and again, similar vein, because I think James May bought a pub, didn't he? Or he co owned a pub with yeah. a. Uh, a chef and I think the series kind of seeing a pub and restaurant being run like realistically and them doing it and, and kind of yeah. making those decisions could be equally quite good but also I think James May is quite nerdy when it comes to stuff like that and I think would love to be like yeah. behind the bar and doing it you know changing you know kegs trying to actually talk to customers and try and make it profitable so that'd be good but I suppose that's now been up and running for a while so it almost seems again they've missed the boat on that unless he maybe is if it's done well enough that he wants to open a second one but i'm with you it's that how difficulties of lockdown i would i would love to have seen kind of the impact on him yeah. because it would have been a bit more real to maybe see that and who knows maybe it's been recorded already yeah, we, you, never know. you never know with these things so <clears throat> it might be something they, they they messed around with format of stuff but that'd be quite good because his cooking show is really good as well to be yeah fair. i enjoyed that cooking a lot of apart from that stupid desert island one that Richard Hammond done, most oh, of their stuff. The great escape is, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. We I think we talked about that previously. And I think most of the stuff they've done separately has actually turned out a lot better, dare I say, than some of the, the Grand Tour stuff. And I think the Grand Tour still has some good moments, but it does start seeming a little bit repetitive, a little bit dated, and you know, it is a tried and tested format. Yeah. No, I uh, I, I definitely agree. And I think I think the problem is uh, Clarkson and May have got enough about them on nowadays to carry a program on their yeah. own. Whereas yeah. it's not to be insulting to Richard Hammond because I enjoy watching Richard Hammond's programs. So that, but with those crashes that he's had, 
it just feels like now he's more of a presenter rather than being able to lead. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, 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 mean, I don't think he's got that. I think he's just got that straw from the the crashes. I, in I my personal opinion. The, I don't, don't know. There's no fact involved. It's just my. Guess. No, but it's it's the kind of experience they've done, right? Like Clarkson and May, they've they've both done a lot of their own shows to kind of more adult audiences. Whereas Richard Hammond's background outside of Top Gear is very much some of the child shows he's done. So he did yeah. kind of like the the break or the big engineering in the UK. Yeah. yeah, and and it's very set things. So. It's harder to translate that to a set audience, whereas I think I don't know. James May and Jeremy Clarkson have kind of kept themselves a little bit more open in the things they've yeah. done and taken a lot more control over it, as opposed to done more format stuff where actually they're probably less involved. Like Richard Hammond probably just reads the script and a lot of his great engineering ones, rather than actually yeah. learning it and doing it and taking part and, and kind of coming up with more of the decisions. Whereas a lot of the others, you, you can tell how much control Jeremy Clarkson and James May are in given the way they interact yeah, with everything definitely. and try and get involved. So, yeah, but I, I think it'll be definitely one to watch and I think a, a season two would be good. So, yeah, if you haven't watched it and you love Tiger King, then I think <laughs> that was so. not the way I was going and you know that. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. Comment. I hope people were on the same line as Kevin's simple like me. He would have, he would have read it that way. <laughs> Wow, let's just insult everybody. Right, so uh, moving on from uh, the tribe testing, which was number 42 from Brewed by Numbers, uh, we are now moving on to the Peter Falk of this episode, which is called Hoppy Polla, which is a white IBA by IPA, I do apologize, uh, by Drygate Brewing Company. Now, this is 6.7%. Uh, we have had uh, Drygate beers before. We had Around the Rubicon, yeah. which we were. You were a fan of, but I wasn't. Uh, is it cr- no crossing the Rubicon? Isn't it crossing the Rubicon? Yeah, yeah. Uh, crossing the Rubicon. Yeah. Uh, Disco, the best one we've ever had. Yeah, Disco, Disco Forklift Truck, which is an absolutely amazing beer. Um, so yeah, Hoppy Parlor. I had to get this because a it's a white IPA, which I don't think we've covered. Uh, we have off podcast, but I don't think we actually had yeah. one on the. Yeah, podcast. no, I don't think we've had it on podcast. No. Uh, and B Hoppy Parlor is actually one of my uh, favorite songs of all time. So it was a. No brainer, really. So yeah, it's six point seven percent. Initially, I will say for a white IPA, that is very clear. Yeah, this is what I'm surprised because I mean, a big part of kind of white IPAs is kind of wheat or oats or that kind of thing. So the fact it isn't cloudy. Yeah, it. it to be honest, yeah, it looks like it's um, lager, like a German lager. That's that's the kind of look to it. That yeah. kind of like golden color, very clear. Now. The one thing I haven't noticed when I've looked at this can previously is it's a white IPA with orange and coriander. Yeah. So we orange coriander. This is going to be a fun beer for me. Coriander, I absolutely despise, which I have said many times before. So, uh, yeah. There's not really a lot to talk about, is there? A smooth and spicy, refreshing white IPA hopped with galaxy for juicy fruit aromas infused with orange peel and coriander for a zesty edge and packed with oats and wheat for a soft and fluffy body. I mean, I don't get a soft and fluffy body so far, <laughs> I think, from it. I, think, I, I thought you were dead one but... <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. So... I mean, if you light it up, I want to knock it down. Uh, yeah, so... Um... <laughs> That's like your son when I build up those towers of blocks and he just comes along and knocks it over. <laughs> Pretty much. That's sure I mean, I trained it. I trained him well. Uh yeah, so on the nose. Yep, the orange and coriander, I can kind of pick up a bit of both. Not massively potent, yeah. if I'm completely honest. Maybe a little bit of the wheat 
aspect. Have you had a sip of it or? No, not yet. I think to be fair, I'm with you. It, you definitely get the coriander in my opinion. I don't know. Citrus, it doesn't, it doesn't have that kind of fruity aroma for me personally. It's a bit more spiced, I think. So, I mean, you've just tasted it. So you haven't recoiled, which is a good sign. Yeah, it's, well, I thought the way we were kind of like giving your analysis of the aroma, I thought I'd take yeah. a, a sneaky swig. Uh, I think spice is a a good word to use because you're definitely getting a bit of the, I think the main bulk of it is the coriander mixed with the IPA, just giving that kind of bitterness, which does linger quite a lot afterwards as well. Um, I'll be not, honest. Not a massive amount of the orange. Yeah. Um, I'm not getting any fruit to it at all. But one thing I'm loving is, <laughs> given that 42 previously said kind of creamy coconut kind of thing, this this is a lot creamier. <laughs> I yeah. think for me, in terms of that body, um, you know, and it actually does taste quite full body, quite thick in a way, given how light it looks. Um, I see what they mean with the fluffy, uh, if I'm honest, fluffy body. I do get that from a kind of a texture thing. Yeah, I think that's more um, of the, like the dryness from the going. coriander, really. I think yeah, that's what kind yeah. of gives you that uh, drier palate, because as we spoke about before, you get with a beer, you tend to get either a more refreshing uh, aftertaste and texture to your tongue, or you get a bit more of a dryness. This one's got a bit more of a dryness to it. Would you agree? I know, I definitely agree. I think for me, though, it, like you say, the coriander is one of the most distinctive flavour profiles there. They're alongside the wheat that I can taste as well. And for me, they're just two flavour profiles that I'm not a massive fan of. And that aftertaste does build up a little bit. Yeah, um, I think so. With those notes, um, you know, which, you know, definitely not one of the most pleasant ones we've had of theirs, if I'm honest. It, you know, it's still very drinkable. Um, and I think for me, I, I think it's always nice to try these different types of beers like like white IPA because it is a little bit different. It's not that conventional. Um, you know, almost is crossing kind of what is kind of almost American pale ale with with what would be kind of more of a, a German kind of beer yeah. sometimes or a Belgian beer, um, which is kind of a nice combination. But I think there's a reason that's not standard, if I'm being bluntly honest. I had a, a white IPA from, I think it was Rascals Brewery in Dublin. And for, okay. I, for the love of God, I can't remember the name of it, which is really annoying me. It was in a blue can. That was absolutely stunning. And one of the best IPAs of, yeah. of they have had, not just a white, yeah. which is abs- the flavour profile was absolutely stunning. So I had really high hopes for this. And unfortunately, mm. it just hasn't quite hit the mark. I would say as a flavour profile for that is if you've got a bottle of Blue Moon. Yeah. yeah it fell down the back of the cupboard. You then found it three years later, three years out of date. I went, you know what? Let's see what it tastes like. I, I know what really you mean Because it's, it's a subtle... A, yeah. It's a it's subtle element of it, but... It's, just, it's that with the spice, I think. Yeah. Because actually, in terms of the beer profile, it, it is incredibly similar to the Blue Moon, including kind of that wheaty taste. And actually, mm. where those flavours are hitting you is in the same kind of order you would find from a Blue Moon. But it's just that coriander, that little bit of spice at the end that builds on up. A, on a more, it's a more potent like, and a more intense yeah, version yeah. in it. So that was probably the best I, way that I yeah. could imagine it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also, it's really hard, like, again, when we're comparing these, like, yes, that tastes, you know, maybe worse than previous ones, but actually, it's still drinkable. And that's the thing, even when we're hmm. saying it's bad, for me personally, that isn't as bad as other beers we've had. So, I'll be honest, oh, no it's, way, a yeah. diff- 
yeah, it, it's it's not the most pleasant of kind of flavours for me because it's just not something I tend to go to for the kind of coriander. We we have coriander. another coriander beer. Coriander. Coriander. <laughs> coriander. We have another coriander beer, okay. Oh, God. It's a good thing I'm not Jonathan Ross. Can you imagine if I had a lisp as well? That'd be terrible. Jonathan Ross. God. Um, Coffeeander. Coffeeander. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those ones. All we can... Every episode that we do with these, we can only ever base it on the other beers that we're pitting against. Yeah. Uh, And sometimes the beers are really nice and it's really difficult to choose from. Some other times it's a lot... There's a lot more of a gulf in between the different beers. I think it's nice when we have a bit more of a variation... Yeah, well, yeah. <clears throat> I don't when you have variation, it makes it a lot easier to distinguish different beers yeah. from thing because there's certain varieties of beer we know we don't like, and therefore they will always naturally be towards the bottom because of that. And I think unless it really stands out as oh wow, that's the type of beer I normally really hate, it's actually really good. It is a very predefined order for most of it that you know very rarely changes from what we think it would be. But well, it's, it's the, other, said, the other element, yeah. The, the, like the, the other part of it is because it was called Hoppy Puller, and I said, like I said at the start, yeah. I, like there's a song called Hoppy Puller, which is from an Icelandic band called Sigurros, and I absolutely love that song. It's one of those songs that you will have heard, but you won't realise oh, okay. it's that song. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's an amazing song. So of course I had to go for it because it was the two the two things together, and the problem is. As humans, we naturally project things onto like other things, yeah. whether it's valid or not. So I, I think I kind of hyped this one up a lot in my head. I was like, "Oh, it's going to be really good, really good." And I'm naturally, I'm naturally going to get that disappointment because it's not what I expected to be. Yeah. Well, you hearing the song as you were, you take that first sip, you're like, "Oh, this is it, this is it," and then exactly the disappointment. It's got to be done. So I think I bought that album bit three times, but you know, really three times. Yeah. I keep on what, what's it. the one? What is the one album you have bought more than anything else? So, like, is there one album you think you, you've actually gone through and Ooh, multiple times on different? That different is a things? very good question. It is, and I'm glad. I'm glad it randomly came to my head at that time. I'm not gonna Ooh, lie. There, see, there's lots of albums I've bought lots of times, but I don't know which one is yeah. probably the one I've bought the most. Ooh, it's it's a hard one, right? It really is. I'll be honest. I I think. Because I mean, the kind of music that I listen to because I'm an old man is things like Queen and the Beatles that I'm a, I'm a big fan of. I think I have bought like the Beatles White Album about four or five different times. Um, it's probably actually so, Tears for Fears, greatest hits. Okay, the yeah. it's the greatest hits where it's a white cover and you've got a gold sun, which is one of those ones that like not a normal type of sun. It's like the the figurine sort of style. So you've got the like all the rays that are coming off are like a big squiggly S or something like that. What I, what I love, and, you know, annoyingly the visual gag you're currently <laughs> doing, they can't see, but just the actions you're doing along with all of this. I, this is why we need the camera right for that. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. It was like some interpretive dance, you know, of what, what you know, in a ch- one day I assume one of your children will be doing some kind of like, <laughs> and that'll be their version of the sun. You know, that action you were doing there. That was I, there's always potential. But yeah, uh, probably, yeah, probably that one. Uh, Tears for the Greatest Hits. I think it's, I mean, one of the most underrated bands of all time, in my personal yeah. opinion. I absolutely love them. Um, it's probably close well, to followed go. by... Oh, it, yeah. It's probably close to followed by The Cure Greatest Hits and Journey Greatest Hits. I mean, The Cure's a good shout, to be fair, I think. Yeah. And I'll be honest, it, it isn't terrible that most of the ones that I have bought 
multiple copies are tends to be the greatest hit ones just because they they span across multiple albums of the of the bands you like yeah. and therefore have a few of the different songs so it's like buying now now that's what i call music 94 or something but, but it's, like, it's one that i think the thing like the greatest hits if you're massively into a band then you'll buy their albums anyway and then you'll end up buying the greatest yeah. hits regardless so, for example, for yeah. me, a big band that I was massively into when I was growing up, now don't judge me before I say it, Limp Biscuit. So I listened to Limp Biscuit yeah. from when they first started, you know, $3 bill, y'all, bringing it all into, um, oh, what was the second one? Oh, my oh, days. I can't even remember that. Oh, you have one of those old band that you get now. This is it. Yeah. You've got two children. You, you don't sleep anymore. And therefore... Oh, what sleep? Like what sleep? <laughs> well, the third album was Chocolate Starfish and Hot Dog Flavored Water. What was the second one? Oh, it was, I, it, it, no, because um, it was the album that had the Mission Impossible 2 theme song on. Um, oh, and it also okay, had yeah. the... Uh, it also had Roland, which was the big hit that they had from that period. So it was... Like Limp Biscuit, I've absolutely loved, and I bought the yeah. Greatest Hits as well. You know, despite the fact I already had the albums, but it's one of those ones where if you just want to listen to driving down the road, obviously you can't mess with like your phone as an iPod and everything to pick whichever song you want it. So the yeah. Greatest Hits are just an easy one to whack on because you know probably about ninety percent of the songs are the ones you prefer. Yes, it may not have your one particular favourite, but yeah, you can make a playlist if you want to. But it's just easy. You know, I'm, nowadays, I'm just too old and I can't be bothered. But You are you are quite old, to be fair, aren't you? Thanks, so, thanks. Significant Other. Significant Other. Significant Other. Yeah, great band. Uh, great album. Okay. Uh, it's probably my favourite one, to be honest. Um, so good yeah. you can remember the name of it, which you've got to respect. Yeah, which is quite funny. Many blows to the head, I mean, James. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> there, there's a question. Any everybody listening, like, uh, please comment on various social medias to tell us what your favourite album is, what your favourite song is. Uh, so what, so what's, what's your favourite of all time? Well, th this is the thing, right? I, I, I was on a similar verb to you in terms of a lot of the ones I've had have been compilations. Uh, com uh, can't even speak. Yeah, they're there, there, Have been compilations. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, like I said, I was going down kind of the the Beatles to Queen rate to be fair, which sounds terrible. But um, is it Queen Greatest Hits Two was the best. Greatest Hits One was oh, the yeah. one. Greatest Hits Two was yeah. the better album. Yeah. Just um, brilliant. Yeah, is it? Um, oh, uninspiringly uh, divine. The Lewis Capaldi album. Uh, I bought that for you. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I am a fan of that. So it sounds more current if I'm if I'm going down that route as well. So, it's divinely so, uninspiring or something like that. Divinely inspiring, yeah. Uh, but then as well, like I suppose Ed Sheeran divide. I think I bought a few times as well. So there you go. I'm, no, I think I've only bought those once Sheeran, each. Yeah, that's it. But, so, I enjoyed I say, them, I, but I, I'm not massively into them. Yeah, I, I think I was just trying to think of kind of more more recent ones because, like, so outside of that, it will be kind of you know the classic. Beatle compilations or something like that. So, but yeah, I mean, oh, just I've got a good question. Mate. I mean, as I said before, I'm not a massive Beatles fan at all. I think them, mm -hmm. it, their music just doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. I grew up very much as a rocker, so uh, one of the bands I've brought the album a lot of is Thin Lizzy. I love Thin Lizzy, great band. 
Um, there's a lot of other ones that I kind of grew up with, like some Metallica, Guns N' Roses. So then when I'm, Kugger... I'm gonna have to say this because I, I I love these moments where I can do this, but I don't actually know who Thin Lizzy is. So I'm sure I might have listened to one of their songs. The disappointment in your eyes is what usually happens in these moments. Oh no, that's not, that's not disappointment. That's hatred. That's, <laughs> that's hatred. I I'm sure if I listened to a song, I would know it. But I'm I, not gonna lie. I very nearly said a band word that how can you not know Thin Lizzy what is wrong with you what have you done with your life I'm sorry but yeah I I haven't haven't. you never heard the boys are back in town yes see okay 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 but again this one jailbreak I I I I would more likely recognize the songs but yeah I I would Rosalie if I heard the songs I would say oh that's Thin Lizzy like that that's thing with me there you go oh I no she's in Again, Thin Lizzy. I didn't need to admit that, underwear. but I thought for your joy there, I admit that because I know I know it gets to you. It, it wasn't joy. It wasn't yeah. joy. Uh, I know. I know. Well, I have my face fell on one side. Um. <laughs> Put your hands up in the air. Stroke test. Stroke test. Like. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I say I, I was very much more than the rocker route. So I was very much more yeah. the heavy, the heavy metal kind of thing, or the uh, new metal was a massive thing when I was in my late teens, early twenties. Um, especially like Linkin Park. I was gutted the fact I never got to see Linkin Park before um, Chester Benningfield, Chester yeah. Benton died, sorry. Um, you know, it was, it, it's one of those ones where I've, rock has been a majority focus on my life, particularly music-based, but I can appreciate other genres. So I'm a magical, uh, massive classical music fan. So, again, yeah. I've been to see Andre Ryu live. I've been to see the BBC Concert Orchestra. I love that element of music as well. I think it's very underrated. And, um, yeah, there's a reason why that music is so popular hundreds of years yeah. later, because it's it's just good quality music. But then again, I can listen to everything. I've been to see Backstreet Boys live. I'm not going to lie. But I love them. I thought they were brilliant. Um, yeah. Massive fan of Bette Midler. Amazing lady. I, th- I think there's a massive Spice thing Spice you, you, you Never saw them. Well. Yeah, but to be fair, I was about 12 years old, 13 years old when they came out, so I was massively focused on them. Um... <laughs> different different reason, though. Who was your favourite Spice Girl? Baby, baby Spice? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I respect, <laughs> I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the nod, yeah. Yeah, Guy, guys get that. Guys get that. Just trying to think. It's, it's I mean, not and... scary Spice, is it? You've got and it, kind of sadist. Initially, it was actually... Oh, that's, yeah, it might have been a sporty. Sporty Spice, okay. Yeah. The tracksuit does it for you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I grew up in Tipton. Um, <laughs> if, I, if you don't know where Tipton is, please don't Google it, because it's horrendous. Um, <laughs> I, I was more of a case of... I was quite into, like, um, Christina Aguilera when she came out. Not for her music. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I bought every poster of her though. Big fan, big fan. Like, I, I think now I, I, I'd show my age now. I believe the posters on my wall were of Pamela Anderson. So, oh, I, I, I respect. I'll be honest, I'm much younger than you, but I still respect that. I mean, you know, I'll be honest, I'm of that generation where, to, to be fair, I, I was a massive gamer nerd, so I had gaming posters on my wall rather than actually. <laughs> I think it was, it was by the point where that was ending. I'll be honest. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've yeah, each, I each had any. Oh no, I had I had one of um Karen Ka- Karen Gillum, is that? Karen Gillian. Amy Pond. 
yeah, yeah. Played Nebula in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a, had a picture oh. of her from Doctor Who, which was, yeah, she was, yeah. Well, not from Doctor yeah. Who, but yeah, generally, yeah, I don't understand that. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> massive tangent, as we uh, tend to do in these things. As always, as always. But yeah, so uh, very briefly before we uh, move on to the uh, around the world, shall we quickly talk on a bit how hot it is, James? I mean, it, it is the <laughs> British thing to talk about the weather, right? So I mean, it, I mean, it has to be done. Yeah. It's one of those where you end up complaining for, you know, <laughs> months and months about, oh, where's the hot weather? Where's the hot weather? We never get decent weather. It's always raining. And then you suddenly get 29, 30 degree weather. Oh, it's too hot. It's too hot. Let's just sit inside. <laughs> Honestly, where's the fans? Oh, why, why is it this hot? Why is it this hot? It's, yeah, it's great. I'm loving it, honestly. Um, I like being this hot and sweaty, you know, feeling so uncomfortable. <laughs> You know, at least I've got a bit of a tan, which is quite nice. But I mean, yeah. When you say tan, you mean you haven't washed? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Dirt is the same, right? Is that not tan? Yeah. So, um, but it is. It is one of those where I think, especially when you're doing a a beer podcast and you're trying to review these beers. I am so hot and thirsty and dehydrated. These all taste amazing. Like if I was in a desert right now. I don't care any of these beers. I'll drink. Bring back episode fourteen. I'll neck every single one of them. Like, well, it's quite funny because oh. at the moment, like, I believe the UK is hotter than like Mexico. That's, you know, I, I don't know how true that is, but that was the tagline. Maybe going some around. parts, maybe yeah. some parts of Mexico, but I doubt that we're hotter. Yeah, than me Mexico, too. Right? Um, but it's one of those ones where it's been that hot today, where because we don't drink before the podcast, we only drink like before, uh, during, and after. So all day, the only thing I've been focused on is the ice cold beers that I've had in the fridge <laughs> ready for the podcast. It's like, I could have done this podcast at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon quite happily just because I wanted the beer. So, but yeah, yeah. You, you, you kind of get that thirst for it, don't you? It's like, you just want something to like, you know, satisfy you just for a little bit before you, you know, turn to a fat melted blob as I currently I mean, have done. It, it's what the hot weather's for, right? As many barbecues as you can fit in and then beers in the sun. I mean, you might as well enjoy it while you can. So <laughs> Exactly. Well, give it another week and we'll be uh, having torrential floods like normal. Um... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. RIP Germany there because they've had loads, haven't they? Well, I think um, at the moment the worst part is like British Columbia and Canada. Like 47 degrees they've been having. Like literally houses have been melting. Ooh. Because of course they prepare for colder weather, so yeah, yeah. They having the wooden structures of the houses, they then plastic coat it to try to make it a bit more um, like safer for when the cold weather hits and a bit more environmentally yeah. friendly. And literally, the, the plastic siding has just been like dropping off the side, and it's crazy stuff. Really. Honestly, it's insane. And then yeah. they go for all the listeners there. Global warming is real, and you should do everything you can to reduce your carbon footprint and keep this world burning for as long as possible. <laughs> That's a friendly little wow. What? What? Tell wow. me I'm wrong, Chris. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me. Well, I'm wrong. I mean, on a side note, uh, let's <laughs> move on to the around the world from this episode, which is a, uh, episode, which is a carbonated drink. Um. <laughs> oh, I mean, that, that was a very joker moment. That was wow. Uh, right, so this one was actually chosen by yourself, James. So uh, I'll let you do the old introductions. Um, I have poured myself a glass straight away, uh, and this one is come from 
Belgium, and it's called Bornem. So, yeah, do you want to talk us through the bottle while I... Uh, yeah, you, you can, you can it? kind of sample it and, and decide. I mean, the best part about this, and I'll be honest, uh, given that it's a, a Dubel, um, we find it hard doing around the world. So we found a really nice six-pack of kind of Belgian beers from Lidl. Okay, happily to call out any decent supermarkets. I'm sure it doesn't matter me saying that Lidl are a good supermarket on this type of podcast. It's not like it's public. It's fine. It won't be heard against me. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, what I hate most is that there's, there's very little to say other than this is a Abbey beer brewed with re-fermentation. The beer is warm, dark brown, which I think is fair enough. I think yeah. dark brown colour, um, a little bit cloudy, but not too bad. I think it looks kind of medium bodied. Um, dark brown has a soft, fruity flavour, reminiscent of grain. That is pretty much all we've got, given that most of the uh, thing is in foreign languages. So that one sentence. In, in foreign languages, yeah. Beautiful. In foreign languages. I, You know what? I, I thought about maybe going on kind of a book review podcast, maybe, because I think my kind of descriptive <laughs> skills would be really good. So, you know. Well, Predominantly, Belgium is tend to kind of be split into two different languages. So the one side of Belgium tends to speak more French and the other one tends to speak more Dutch. So this one looks like it's a bit more Dutch. Chris, Chris is that a foreign language? Yes. Are there multiple? <laughs> yes. So it's me saying that foreign languages on the... Is that inaccurate? I don't think so. I think that's as accurate... Just a sweeping generalisation, shall we say. say. But yeah, so... And, I, and if that's not the British way, I don't know what is. Now, okay. with the the Bornham, I, I there's not much on the nose. A little bit of fruitiness, I would say. However, I without you actually trying it, I would say that you would enjoy this more than you think. Maybe one thing I will. It's, say a, it's a bit. It's, it's got kind aroma, of a bit portery. It's a seven point two. I think you can get that alcohol strength from the aroma alone. Like it smells strong to me personally. So I, I didn't really smell the strength of it, but I did get the kind of sweetness. I think normally, though, with these type of beers, as you have a smell of them, it's kind of like an earthy smell. This one didn't have, to be fair. You know, it was quite... It's a bit more pleasant than some of the other uh, Dubels we've had. Uh, that is incredibly... Not of improvement. That, that, is, that is incredibly pleasant. It, it, you know what? Fruity, yes. Quite... You know what? I was expecting this to be kind of more medium bodied, given that it's kind of a Belgian beer. But actually, that is incredibly light bodied. It's very, very refreshing. Um, I think you definitely get some of the carbonation, as you say. I think that that comes through from me. Um, well, these are normally bottle yeah. conditioned as well, aren't they? So yeah. normally you tend to get a bit more sediment, but this one doesn't seem to be too bad, to be honest. Um, I'll be honest. It reminds me of Newcastle Brown. <laughs> it's like a, an intense version of it, really. Yeah. Isn't it? Think of Newcastle Brown combined with the Belgian like style beer, yeah. and that's pretty much on the money. Um, slight fruitiness, slight carbonation, dead bitterness from the you know the alcohol flavour. Mm. Yeah, that, that is very pleasant. Yeah, it's got like a halfway between uh, Newcastle Brown and like moving towards a barley wine, but nowhere near as intense as that. Yeah, in terms of that strength scale, yeah, I, I yeah I get what you mean from that, but. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm pleasantly surprised. I think we were both a bit apprehensive of this. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I sent you a message earlier on saying, you pick this one. Uh, I'm not looking forward to it at all. And it has pleasantly surprised us because we don't have a great track record when it comes to Belgian beers, let's be honest. 
No, and, and you know what? It's sad to say, but I think it's one of those types of beers that I, I don't naturally gravitate to. Like if I'm in a shop and I'm buying beers for myself that I want to try, I tend to go to go to kind of American pale ales or IPAs or something like that. I do need to, I think come come the winter period, I, I do need to start getting back into trying some kind of different Belgian beers and stuff. And to that Lidl, I don't know why I'm bringing up Lidl so much. There are other good supermarkets <laughs> such as Aldi available, but Lidl do tend to have a a good selection of Belgian beers quite often to be fair and some of the kind of around the world beers so um and I will say maybe maybe that's a good place to look over the winter period for, for some of these to be honest, beers to be fair. I do think Lidl as a as a supermarket do try and it doesn't always work but they do do try and get lots of different beers in for people to try so I think if yeah if people are on a budget and you want to get into the world of craft beer but you can't yeah. afford the likes of four five seven eight pound a can which let's be honest a lot of people can't because it's a hell of yeah. a lot of money if you want to have a couple of beers on yeah, a night time that's that's the that's more than going to have a couple of pints than your local boozer so you know the craft beer scene or as much as i enjoy it, and i would say the same as you we will naturally gravitate yeah. towards a craft beer if we're in a shop yeah it's got to be about what you can afford because it, and it's all about life balance so just because something has cost one pound fifty or two pound a can does that mean it's going to be any less enjoyable for that one person than something to be you know ten pound no, no. and, and also if you're getting if you're getting into kind of craft beer from from an early start as well and you haven't had that many you know don't think just by spending loads of money and getting the most expensive beers out there are you going to oh, get a fair god, representation no. or good beers some of the best beers we've had are the cheapest ones actually and that is that that is the truth of it so I think getting a variety of them and, and getting into that can be quite good. I'll be honest, it's like at the moment, it, you know, one thing Lidl do is they do kind of these weekly kind of country ones as well. At the moment, yeah. they're on kind of Greece and they've got Mythos, which we've talked about previously on the podcast, is one of yeah. my favourites. And it's just that type of beer that is so hard to get in England. The fact that you can get that with those kind of sales yeah. is amazing. I think that variety element, just accessibility-wise, is, is really good. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Maybe we should be sponsored by Lidl. That's a sad reality that I now live in. So, oh, yeah, it's a good thing that won't be held against me. There we go. <laughs> but Tom's Audi, good. Audi's good too. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the main reason why we started this podcast because it's very easy, especially in the whole beer blogger world, it's very easy for people to get become craft beer snobs. And that's never been our intention. Yeah. We, we don't want necessarily the most expensive beer or what everybody classes the best flavor beer it's all about the journey of trying something different trying something you haven't experienced before the beauty of beer beer is just a it's a simple yet sometimes a little bit extraly complex easy drink that you want to enjoy and that's the whole that's what we want from beer we want to enjoy it we want to talk about it we want chat complete shit as we're discussing them yeah. and stuff as well, which is yeah. what we started this in the first place for. And well, that, that for me has always been the most important part, right? Exactly. That, like, social element of it. Like the, the best thing about having beer and trying it is be able to say, Oh, have you tried this one? What's your thoughts of it? Because everybody's opinion of it is completely different. Yeah. And that's what one thing we've always liked about it. And I think, you know, it's something that, you know, if you're sat at home drinking beer by yourself, you know, just go find some community out there. Go find people to drink it with because it is so much better. You'll realise so quickly just yeah, I mean, what, what I've, a good good thing to do. So I've met quite a, a few nice people from 
like doing this podcast. I and mean, it is. Does that, okay. does that include Kev? Huh? I said some of those people. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, You'll be writing poetry next. He's <laughs> such a big fan. Chris. I thought that's what you did. I, I wish I could. I wish I could. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah foreign that... languages. My 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 English is not amazing, is it? So, but I would always say, been off your weather spoons, been off your massive chains, unless you know it's literally just for a quick point. Get yourself yeah. down a little, um, either a tap room or a little craft place that's hasn't got anything mainstream on it. Random stuff you've never heard of. Go and pick a couple of points. Have a try. Have a chat with a bloke next yeah. year or the woman next year. And just enjoy it. That's what beer is all about. Yeah. And also, those are the places where beer gets changed every week. There's a new tap on, there's a new keg. And I think that's the beauty of it. Whereas if you go to a mainstream, you have the same beer day in, day out. And if you're one of those people who like going to a pub and drink Carling, then... What are you listening to this podcast for in the first place? But the variety (laughs) point, like you just need to get out there and try as many different ones as possible because you know what? You might be put off by saying, oh, I don't like Belgian beers. But then, you know, you have the Born M double and you realise, actually, that is a really nice Dubel. Dubel. It's very nice. So, yeah. Dubel double. Dubel double. As it says says on the label. Uh, Double Dubel. (laughs) Right. So, very briefly, James, shall we cover a a little bit of sport? Not yeah, a massive mention, I don't think. We should, should. yeah. I, I think it didn't come home. We'll very briefly say that. Um, you know, for me personally, I think we're probably not going to touch on it too much, but no. there has been a lot of negative reaction from yeah. England fans. And you know what? I think it's reinforced that I, te- you know, if I'm being honest, there is a small part of football that I hate, and that is some of the fans' reactions to stuff. And it's not all fans, and I don't want to say it's all England fans because it's not, but. Nope. The fact that it happens more in that sport than any other, if I'm being bluntly honest, that type of very casual racism is terrible. Um, And I think the the thing for me, when you have somebody like Saki, who's a a 19-year-old who's in a final that we've not been in, you know, for a very, very long time, and you're giving him that kind of abuse because, you know, he, he shot, you know, a penalty on target, but the goalkeeper saved it, it's terrible to be fair. And I think, you know, it's just not what football should be about. It's not what sports should be about. And I think, you know, nobody was watching that game thinking we deserve to win it when it came to penalties at the end of the day. Like Italy, you know, in a football Euro 2020, they were the better team. And I don't think that reaction against our, you know, our, our football players was worthy. And, I, you know, I think it just serves a discredit to us as a country, really. I think that's, yeah, it's very annoying. Um, I agree. Um yeah, it always makes me laugh. So with the likes of Saka and uh, Rashford and uh, Sancho, you know, getting all yeah. this abuse. But they're getting this abuse from like people like a 56-year-old bloke called John in Sunderland, yeah, yeah. covered in tattoos, two factor scenes on ball sack. You know, yeah. What would you do on the pitch, mate? Let's be honest. Absolutely jack. Yeah. There's no... Yeah. If, if you... If you condone racism then please stop listening because we don't want yeah. you to listen and uh, we don't do polit- like politics but that's not politics man that's human decency i don't yeah, care exactly. what your skin color is are you sound or are you a knob that's the only things i'm concerned about everything else crack on but yeah i think the to be honest i'm not a massive football fan i used to be but again like you say it was it money ruined it for me and it wasn't as enjoyable and the fans tend to yeah, be tools. But 
it's again it's a small minority that ruin it for yeah. the larger population which is the sad part but booing during national anthems for me is a massive no-no but oh, yeah, I, that was terrible as well like because they did that during the semi-final as well against denmark didn't they yeah uh, as well as as well as against sicily and it's just again it, it's not right you know there, it's, there, it's there's an element of having patriotism and there's an element of just dishonoring somebody and dishonoring a whole nation and it's just not right um, and I think for me, the, the annoying thing about the whole the whole thing, if, if you look at the penalties, the, the only one who, who did a bad job is Rashford, right? He's stuttering and then, you know, hitting the post and, and you know, at the end of the day, stopping, beating the goalkeeper and getting, you know, clear and not hitting it right. But he knew that he did that wrong, you know, and, and the disappointment he feels will be the most punishment he'll ever get. It doesn't matter how many fans hurl abuse at him. He's already... You know, gonna you know be disappointed exactly. himself and push himself even forward. So, what everybody else says is meaningless, and it just isn't worthy. And you know, you know, at the end of the day, they do train for months and months, and probably spend two, three hours training per day on penalties and that type of kind of like shootout. I don't, you know, yes, it, it didn't happen, but I would say a lot of the other, you know, for us, if we think of like Saka, like they still hit the target. You know, they didn't beat the goalkeeper, but then. You know the the Italian goalkeeper was really really good. So you he's he's one of the most highly rated goalkeepers yeah. in like all of history. He's, that kid is twenty two years yeah. old. Yeah, and well, he's already uh, been priced out of Italy, so he's going to Paris Saint Germain. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, Donnarumma. Yeah, Donnarumma. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, so he's a yeah. massively talented goalkeeper, but that's the reason why he didn't bother with any of the theatrics because he just trusted his own ability. You got the confidence. It's hard work to beat. But yeah. I did say to my wife yeah. when they're going to um we got to the full time, I did say there's only two I don't follow football much, but there's only two things I know. And first one is if it goes to penalties, England won't win. Yeah. And second of all, is if West Bromwich Albion ever get promoted, it's always going to be in second place because the shittiest way to get up. It's the only it's the only way you don't win a trophy. So yeah. yeah. The only two things I know about football. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Uh, you know what? It was still good to watch. It didn't come home. But what did come home, Chris? What did come home? The Stanley Cup, my friend. The Stanley Cup. And that actually, to be fair, did come home. And if we had one in Euros, it wouldn't have come home. It would have It would have just come. <laughs> so, <laughs> there we go. But yeah, back-to-back. Yeah, so back Tam- Tampa Bay Lightning did win the Stanley Cup uh, like back-to-back, two seasons running. Um uh, Pat Maroon did drop the Stanley Cup and put a massive dent in it because he was absolutely steaming on the, the parade in the middle of Florida. Uh, but yes, yeah, so um, really happy about that. Obviously, now the dismantling of the team has started because it's all about uh, salary cap. But very briefly, I do want to say congratulations to the lads. They've done really, really well. They've done everybody in Tampa proud. Everybody writes Tampa off as a uh, hockey town. I think that proves they're worth like well, twice over, shall we say? Um, yeah, but moving on, upcoming sport, James. So, in the moment, we've got um, the Lions Tour has started and it's about to start yeah. the three main tests. So, there was a game yesterday where um, Marcus Smith was, it, was flew. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was against, yeah, it was, it was at DHL Stormers, I'm yeah. I remember. Yeah. I think I, I believe so. Um, 
You put me on the spot now. I can't remember. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, I thought I thought it was something like that. So I, I saw the score and I couldn't re- like to be fair, not having watched many of the kind of warm up games because the big test, like you say, starts next Saturday, yeah. doesn't it? So that yeah. that's the main one. But, so there's three main um, tests. The rest of it is like uh, club teams or like South Africa A squad. Um, but yeah, Mark. So Marcus Smith was rushed over due to uh, injuries. Uh, he started and was absolutely fantastic. Converted seven from seven conversions. With the standout star of the whole uh, game was Luke Kerendicke, which is quite funny because he's a starting hooker for England. Well, actually, no, he's the backup hooker for England. He started this game just as a uh, you know squad rotation. He was man the match. He was absolutely outstanding, and I think people are now starting to realise how good of a player he is. And yeah, I I think it's very easy to certain people get picked in a certain position and actually don't, <laughs> you know, they, they don't think about changing the squad very much. Yeah. Whereas yeah. with the likes of Luke Kerr and Dickey, I think he should be challenging um, Jamie George for the starting position in the England squad for me. I, th- I think he's an absolutely fantastic player. And Marcus Smith, Marcus Smith should have been included yeah. in the squad ages ago. For me, he should have gone. But he also then should be in the England squad as well. So, you know, where does it stand? It, I think it's always lot... funny to see the imbalance between the England squad and the Lions squad, to be fair. And that's, that's well, this, one this is the issue for me. I think actually not just from the English perspective, I think from like Scottish, Irish, Welsh. If they're in the national squad, then, you know, they've got a, a good chance of being picked for the Lions squad. But there's so many players that get overlooked because the coach of the national squad of which wherever they're from, say Ireland or Wales, because that coach doesn't like that one particular player and doesn't get make it to the squad, then they don't get their look in from the Lions. And actually, they're more than capable and sometimes yeah. better than the player that's gone. And yeah, I think it's only sometimes down to the injuries, really, that they get a chance. Which isn't really fair. I mean, Alex Dombrandt yeah. from... Harlequins can't break into the England squad for love and money. You know, yeah, he's absolutely tearing up in the Premiership. Do you think he should get a chance? Personally, I think, yeah. But Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the players as well, I mean, some of the players would rather play in the Lions than they would in the national teams in the grand yeah. scheme of things. It's like, you know, from a, from a love of rugby type thing. So, it is, yeah, it's always weird to see that. I think a few few players have kind of spoke out how they want to want to be part of it as well. And I think... Also, I think it is that element of how much they step up. And I think, you know, social media kind of helps towards that nowadays. I think some players do kind of put themselves forward a little bit more openly uh, and don't necessarily rely on a coach nominating them and maybe trying yeah. to push themselves forward a little bit. And that can help. But I think at the same time, that's just going to make the coach hate them more. Possibly. <laughs> you know, so in terms of and, that, and that's the biggest that, that issue, isn't it? Thing, so, yeah. well, it's like Sam Simmons was the uh, big one who can't get into the English club but managed to get taken to the Lions. So, yeah. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens to the Lions tours. Of course, they're only a showcase, but it's always good because they only come around every four years. I think they're always an interesting event to watch, personally. Yeah, but, and I think for me, it, it's a shame because they've reduced it uh, in terms of the number of games being played as well, haven't they? So It's normally um, 10. Yeah, and they've, they've reduced quite heavily. So I think, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the post-COVID world and how quickly it returns to normal. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the disappointments. At least we're seeing it played. At least it hasn't been fully cancelled. You know, compared to some other sports. So, and that's still a big positive. And I think for for kind of rugby fans, that's made it even better that 
it's still gone ahead. They're still trying to honour it in some way. And I think that's, you know, in terms of like the fan appreciation for that, I think it's quite high. Yeah. Um, uh, um, so let's face it, it's been difficult for everybody. So anything that they can kind of do, we will just take yeah. it the minute. So, um, yeah. So, but very briefly before moving on to the wild card for the episode, is in five days, we have another lot of sporting events started. So, the Olympics are finally coming. Uh, it is a year late, based yep. in Tokyo. Now, it starts on the 23rd of July. Now, there seems to be some sort of weird streaming rights for all a lot of the live stuff across Even, different well, channels. Well, the opening ceremony is always on BBC, right? Well, normally, yeah, but apparently the majority of the games are like being locked behind a paywall on like Discovery Plus or something, so... Discovery Plus? Yeah. That is, that's a weird one. I don't know how true that is, but it was something I heard this morning. Yeah. I was like, well, that, if that's the case, you're going to alienate a lot of people. But if it, I thought I thought the Olympics was one of those sports that BBC had the rights to or always got looking for. And, and no no sports so. is but fair game there. If you're going to pay the money, then you'll get it. So Yeah, that's crazy, though. I, I don't know how true it is. I haven't had a chance to fully investigate it because... It is one of those ones where I believe they'll at least do highlight shows or you know yeah, certain yeah. elements to it because yeah. because it's based in Tokyo. Obviously, it'll be early morning, so it's not like there's going to be a massive amount of people watching, staying up and watching. So I can kind of understand it from yeah. this particular one, but obviously, if that's a standard that you set moving forward, a lot of people are going to move like miss out and I don't think that's fair and something as special as the Olympics I don't think you can lose it behind like a Sky Sports kind of paywall really. no I'm also surprised because it is the kind of thing that ITV or Channel 4 if it really up for grabs would, would pump the money into actually um, and, and that's I don't think Channel 4 would have the money that's why like, they tend to go for the Paralympics because they're more about inclusion and stuff anyway but also you want yeah. to be as expensive ITV yeah I do understand that one but normally there's a, it's mainly on BBC they tend to a lot for yeah. it. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm with you though. The big thing, if it is Discovery Plus, like you said, that paywall, then the fact that Sky Sports haven't done it, because they, they they dedicate a whole channel to it, wouldn't they? You know, Sky yeah. Sport, you know, Sky Sports Olympics, and they'd have it up there. So the fact that they've been outbidded by the likes of Discovery Plus, which I don't think particularly has a big sport. I say I I could be wrong. It was just something that was mentioned yeah. on live TV this morning. So I it, because of yeah. the level of it, I just can't genuinely say whether you know it's accurate or not. It's just just yeah, the fact that I that was actually it, it, mentioned at some point on TV this morning. I was like, really? But then I, think, I, was, yeah. I was about to investigate it, and then yeah, I had, like vomit in my face from a two-month-old. So yeah, these things your wife distract this time, though. That that's good though. That no, she can't drink at the moment. So so. so. Uh, so yeah, so more under control. <laughs> I, I think you're right though. It's you know it's a big ramifications for sporting and kind of media uh, in terms of being able to act, uh, acquisition of that kind of rights uh, to, to those. It should shows, be access so. to everybody, in my opinion. But, it, it, and I'm, I'm with you. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's our country being represented. So I think it's one of those where everybody should do it. And I, I at the same time, I will watch the opening ceremony probably. But yeah. actually, outside of that, unless it's a particular sport that I follow, and like previous years, hockey's always been one of them that I actually yeah. I, I put a lot more time into watching than, than some of the others. So 
I, I want to make sure I try and watch that live if I can, but given the time difference, I probably won't watch as much. But I think for me, it's one of those, you know, if you're working from home and you have got access to it, it, it's always a good one to shove on in the background because the Olympics, more than anything else, like the, the variety of different sports you can watch and you end up actually enjoying is amazing. And, and I think you can really get into some random sports that way. Um, I think things like badminton as well, I actually love watching live. Um, and it's one of the rare occasions that I do that. So See, I'm one of these people, I will watch, if the Olympics are on, I will pick whichever one I'm texting my fancy at that particular time and I'll yeah. watch. Yeah. I'll be, always be watching a sport for the two weeks. And yeah, anything from yeah, swimming, yeah. canoeing. I won't watch the horses because who cares? Um, but you know, hockey. Personally, when it comes to field hockey, I prefer watching the women's game rather than men's. Well, I think mainly we because last time, yeah, yeah, because like the, the with the women, because they're so much more flexible than men, the game just flows faster and it's much more yeah. like ice hockey. And I just think it's so much more enjoyable. But yeah, I'll, I'll watch anything when it comes to the Olympics. I love it so. Yeah, bring it on for me. I'll yeah. watch as much as humanly possible. And I have got a week off in between. So I'll optimise that when I'm uh, awake in the middle of the night. So it's all good. I'll be honest. I think I've got the exact same week off as well. Have you really? There Please you don't stop yeah, me. So. Um, right. So <laughs> moving on to the wild card because we have been gabbing on for quite some time now, James. Also, I'm melting, Chris. I am melting. God. That's the reason it's why terrible. I have no shirt. Uh, and as I said before we started recording, recording you're lucky I've got shorts on. Right, so uh, the wild card for this episode is from Arba, and it's called My Little Sabroni, which is a single-hopped American pale ale, uh, which has got uh, Sabro hops in. Now, this one was purchased from a big supermarket. The orange one, if that helps. Uh, the orange one, okay, yeah. But apparently, via Beer Hawk, Okay. Which is not two brands that I would put together. So I have got really? a box of Beer Hawk beers, which I haven't opened yet. I was given them uh, as a gift from when uh, my second son was born. Uh, so it'd be quite interesting to see what's in there. But yeah, so Arbor, the reason why I kind of picked this as the wild card is because A, it's a single hopped American Pale Ale which I thought would be quite interesting in comparison with the beers we'd already picked. But also, obviously, the colour on the can with a rainbow effect, perfect for a wild card. And thirdly... My, li- my little Sabroni. Yeah, thirdly, like, I don't think I've ever actually had an Arbor beer. Have you not? I think I have. I'm trying to remember. Well, I think I can't remember. So I'm wondering if it's one of those beers where I just haven't noticed where they're from. Or I genuinely haven't had one, but I'll be very surprised. So I've had Harbour, but not Arbor. Yeah, yeah, I, I know the distinction, but yeah, no, I thought, I thought, I thought I had had one, but I, I assume maybe that was with you, but but maybe not. I'm trying to think. I think it's one of those historic tea and cakes that we talked about on the, yeah, on the previous. Yeah, where we drink yeah, so copious amounts of beer and have halfway it, through we lose of, all contest to what we actually do. Exactly, and it, it's probably one of the ones we might have had there, but yeah, I think given that I'm looking at you without a top on, I think the, the colour scheme seems very appropriate for this moment. Yeah, it's so. very, very pale. <laughs> a bit? Very cloudy and murky, yeah. I think yeah, it's, I mean, it's, expecting... it's, it's very unfiltered. With the colour... Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, yeah. Maybe that's our punch, probably the same colour. What is Actually, it? Yours looks like far. Look, 
you know, yours looks a lot richer than mine. Oh, it does, yeah. See, mine looks a lot murky, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, so uh, I wonder what the flavour difference is. Bear in mind, I bought these cannons side by side, so they should be the same batch. So why are they so different? <laughs> I, I'm guessing outside of a Sapporo pop, so I'm, I'm assuming there's not much to go on from the cannon. Yeah, no, absolutely It's the type of thing. So. Apart from trying to uh, push the supermarket and beer hawk, that's about it. So. You know, well, based on... already, I've given too many rival supermarkets enough credit. <laughs> Sainsbury's, so yeah. Leave it the big... oh. <laughs> yeah, so I do get a fruity scent, like future aroma. Have you had a sip of yours yet? Or... Not yet, no, but you, you go for it first. I'm with you. I, I get kind of a, a, a fruitiness, a little bit of kind of almost acidity from that as well. Um, but mm. again, I, it's not particularly strong. I'm expecting what would be kind of a light bodied, pleasant. American Pale Ale, so I'm guessing there'll be some citrusy, but it's Sabro, so I'm not expecting a lot of hops from that, to be fair. Like, it's not a very bitter one, so... I think it's one you'll enjoy. Because you have got the fruitiness, but then there is a weird kind of hoppiness. But then, it's kind of like... The only way I can describe it is, like, a bit like a refresher. You know, like the fizzy it's refreshers. The carb- yeah, yeah, it's a carbonation. Yeah, you get that carbonation effect from it. Yeah, I, I think it's a very well-balanced beer, considering it's only got a single hop in it. Um, a little bit more, yeah, bitterness from the start, not really much that carries through to the end. If I'm honest, it's single hop that there isn't much complexity there for me, and I think it's quite simplistic. Uh, I think you know, it's not it's not a very complex uh, flavor profile. I, I'm with you, you get you get the kind of citrus notes from it. I, I don't, I don't get as much bitterness from it, if I'm honest. Like, but oh, then so I, I do- like really bitter. Kind but of, then again, to be fair, I so, picked that up very early on the beer, which is, yeah, again, the which, area you don't tend yeah. to identify as much. So yeah. if you're not picking that up, then yet yeah, it's just not yeah. your style. So which that's quite surprising, really, because I thought you might it might carry through enough for you to pick up on. But No, I mean, there's a little bit there, but, but not massive. I mean, it is probably, of all of them, the most refreshing, dare mm. I say, uh, given it's, you know, probably the most sessionable one. Um, which is which is quite interesting, but again, that's probably what you get from a single hop though APA because it you know it should be quite sessionable. You know there isn't a lot going on there, so if you like that flavour, then it's going to carry on quite well. But I, I'll be honest, the carbonation, considering we have the Bornham as well, is really getting to me. I'll be honest. So it is very lively in comparison. Yeah, yeah. it's very heavily so. carbonated. Right, James, I do believe it is time to make our decision. And I think it's my turn. It is your turn, yes. I can kind of sit back and enjoy your... I think we'll have the same top choice, but the other three are random pick, if I'm honest. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, so in fourth place, I'm really struggling to decide... Uh, but solely on the disappointment. Okay. Hoppy Poller. I respect that. I expected more from the white IPA. It just, it's, it's, honestly, it doesn't taste 6.7%, but the flavor profiles just wasn't really what I was kind of hoping for with that IPA. 
Um, every IPA is completely different, but for me, the, the areas they were focusing on are not flavours I generally enjoy. So overall, I think based on that, it's got to be in last place. Yeah. Third place, I'm going to go for Bornham. So the Bornham, how, to be honest, it was a lot more enjoyable than I expected it to be. But again, it's just not my particular drink to go for. Okay. Uh, in second place, I'm going to go with Arbor, my little Sobroni. Uh Nice flavour. I pick up more of the elements that you seem to miss. Um, but overall, it is it is heavily carbonated, but there's nice fruity tones to it. There's nice little bitterness to it. It's a very easy drink. Maybe with the gas, you'd be a bit long-term. If you have a couple of cans, you may struggle. But generally, I find they're quite enjoyable. But yeah, Top Dog has got to be brewed by numbers, number 42. The one from the BrewDog subscription, not the one from yeah. their website. Just to clarify. Very, very nice. The double dry hop is actually easily overlooked. The citra and the sabra work perfectly well together. Nice little body, body to it. It's just a really enjoyable, sessionable drink. And yeah, that is my order. And I think you do very well to keep your cool there, Jones, because considering you absolutely walloped something with your leg, I really wanted to swear, but you didn't. I'll uh, I'll give you credit for that. But that's the reason why I'm, I was there. Uh... <laughs> I'm glad you saw the pain because God, it it, it hurt. It hurt. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think we're, we're a similar order, not exact. We're not. I didn't think we would be. I didn't think we so, would be, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, yeah, I think that's interesting. I think for me, Hoppy Paula, White IPA, Frygate, has to be number four. Um, I think it's that coriander. I think, you know, it, it's wheat coriander. It's the flavour profile that, you know, for me just isn't as pleasant. I will say it's still very drinkable if you've never had a White IPA. Mm definitely want to try because actually it's probably one of the more mainstream type of craft beers now in terms of like breweries that you can get hold of so it should be quite accessible and you know what it's it's worth a gander you might really enjoy it i i kind of imagine that would be a good one over christmas or the winter period if i'm honest just that kind of spice to it as That's well not a bad shape. I, I think probably probably might might be more kind of seasonal in that sense but um maybe it's the fact that it's the sun uh but that for me just isn't isn't very yeah compared to some of the others uh next would be my little sobroni by arba um for me it's just that kind of lack of complexity uh it's very sessionable uh, i think i said before it's probably the most sessionable one just because it is very simplistic you know it's very refreshing that single hop you do get that citrus but i think for me i think i've said previously i want a little bit more when it comes to an apa or an ipa like i like that hoppiness and Maybe you're right. It's the fact that it came at the start rather than the end, which I tend to kind of more gravitate yeah. towards on. I, I prefer some kind of more distinctive aftertaste. You like that. a bit more bite. Don't um, you? Yeah, exactly. I, I like a really good finish in my mouth. Brewed um, <laughs> by numbers number forty-two. That was that was for Kev. That was brewed uh, by numbers forty-two. Um, yeah, double dry hot pale ale. The brew dog one, not the one on the website, would be my second place. Ooh. Um, yeah, very, very surprising. I, I think, you know what, it was very nice, very complex, and I can see why you'd put it first, to be fair. Um, it, it, it's a really nice flavour profile. I think for me, and I think the point we made earlier, when when you have a type of beer that you don't 
go to very often when you get something that's quite pleasant and nice actually suddenly it's really good when you get that and so you know the boredom for me has really come up to the top so um i think yeah i I think given i was almost going to expecting it was so bad the fact that it was quite pleasant almost puts it right up there for me then um and i think actually yes the strength is quite high and therefore it's probably not one I'm going to drink loads and loads of, but actually that is quite a pleasant Belgian beer. I think of all of the ones I'm taking away, that is the one I might, yeah, that that's really good. That's, that stood out for me out of all the others. So that's why it's my number one. So yeah, Bornham, double Dubel, uh, go out there and try that. Yeah. I, I understand why you kind of picked that. It was definitely yeah. more along your type of flavor yeah. profile. So yeah. I, I, it makes perfect sense. If you, I, I would say if you enjoy things like uh, porters and stouts, that's definitely one for you yeah. to try. If you're definitely, not really as a dark ale fan, then yeah, it's probably not going to be for you. But I personally picked up on some notes that were enjoyable. Definitely worth. Yeah, I mean, worth giving a bash anyway. So, what was it? I think we managed to get six beers for eleven ninety nine. So overall, I mean, it's an absolute bargain, really. Yeah, Lidl is probably the second best budget supermarket there is. right well thank you very much for joining us again people uh we will be back with you again soon should be with about two weeks so yeah enjoy your drinking and hopefully don't melt in the weather bye-bye cheers guys bye